Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me there on Twitter, and it's Thursday. This is the this is what we'll review yesterday's slate in the NBA uh, and answer your DFS strategy questions. As always, I see you guys in the YouTube chat. Josh Duck, Suki Singh, real life pitcher. Sterling Woods, Doug Montgomery, Hog Lawrence, Turks 570, Bluegrass Jeff. He's probably he's probably near me. I'm I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. So maybe if he's in he's in the bluegrass. Maybe maybe he's in my closet. I have no idea. Bluegrass Jeff. Good morning. Good morning to everyone uh, who played uh, NBA yesterday. We got NBA season is upon us. Season, SCN season. If you're excited about NBA season, hit that thumbs up button, right? I'm going to wave the thummy thumbs at you until I get them here in the morning. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. Um, I'll be on later, later tonight for the, for the showdown slate. What a disgusting showdown slate for NFL tonight there is. You can pretty much make whatever lineup you want because half the players are out. Uh, so it's going to be very, very hard to get different. You're going to have to get really weird tonight. So we'll talk about that later tonight on the, the, the pre-lock show. But yesterday at NBA, how did everyone, how did, how did everyone do for NBA yesterday? Uh, so a, a lot of the value got there and some of it didn't, right? That, that's just the way life works, right? Uh, if you if you didn't if you didn't stack on eleven games late if you didn't stack the Celtics Knicks game that went into double overtime uh, you probably couldn't win you probably couldn't win first right uh, Jalen Brown went from uh, being doubtful to being probable to being then being questionable to then being then playing and then scoring seventy six fantasy points okay at like almost no ownership like, what was his ownership on DraftKings. 1.26 in the showtime, 0.83 in the 888, and the main GPP is 2%. 2%. Jalen Brown. Uh, Randall was a little bit more, more owned, right, 15, 16. Randall's ownership came up a little only because uh, when uh, when uh, Gibson and Noel were ruled out. So uh, that didn't necessarily affect Mitch, Mitch, Mitchell Robinson as much as it affected Randall's ability to get center minutes. So that, that that that's how projections work, right? If if you if you're using projections, that's when we see people get bumped. It's like this guy is out, this guy is out, or a starting lineup changes, right? You know things like that. You have to pay attention the entire night because we saw uh, this, this. I mean, this is what makes NBA DFS, uh, uh, you know, work throughout the year. You can't really rest until the last game has locked. But we saw, you know, before lock. Uh, we got what do we? Brown was going to play. We got word that yeah uh, that Boucher was going to play. Uh, oh, Terry Rozier was out right because he was a game time decision, and then they ruled him out. What like forty five minutes before lock, which obviously boosts up uh, Lamella Ball. Uh, and boosts up there. It pretty much boosts up everyone. Ish Smith coming out. You know, obviously uh, backup point guard, whatever. Probably get uh, more minutes uh, together with Lonzo Ball. Uh, obviously Hayward uh, usage goes up, but if you saw that they were going to monitor his minutes, I mean, he still played 30 plus Hayward. So it's like, okay, well, that's before lock. Okay. We got news. Someone is out. How does this affect the rest of the team? And now how do these players project? Well, after lock, uh, 
we 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 got. I mean, some some of these are very little things, but it could it could significantly affect some players uh, to to an extent in which you'd be willing to play them. Uh, Malik Beasley was not going to start for the Timberwolves. Okay, so with him out, with his usage out, I think it was what Okoji started instead, and he doesn't do anything. So which bumped up the projections for Carl uh, Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and and D'Angelo Russell. Now D'Angelo Russell on on draft was eighty five hundred. So I mean, uh, most likely you weren't really playing much of him there. But on on FanDuel where it was what seventy seven hundred or something that made him a much better play, just for the fact that Malik Beasley wasn't going to be in the starting lineup. Malik Beasley was going to play as you know the sixth man or something. So Towns' projection goes up a point and a half. Edwards goes up two. So those are the two points in the grand scheme of things could make the difference between, ah, oh, it's okay, and, oh, maybe I should get a little bit more of them. And then we got word after the 7.30 games locked that uh, DeAnthony Melton was going to start in place of Kyle Anderson, Okay. Uh, now, DeAnthony Melton is, is a good fantasy point per minute player. Now, alongside uh, John Morant, his, 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 his fantasy points per minute were going to go down, but his minutes were going to go up. And if, if you've seen how the, the Grizzlies you know, rotate their players, it's most likely that DeAnthony Melton is going to come out early. So they're going to start with, alongside John Morant, probably come out four or five minutes in, and then lead the second unit. So not only is he going to get more minutes, he's still going to have his role on basically being the use, the, 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 the key playmaker on, with the second unit. So like, that's the best of both worlds in these 3,600. And, he's, and we, we had, we, uh, we had him projected for 28 minutes. He ended up playing 30. So like, so that projection goes up. So it's not, he's, he's, He's keeping his same role and then adding more minutes, less usage minutes. And you saw it throughout the game, right? You know, he doesn't do much. Desmond Dane is taking shots and he's just standing around doing nothing. But then once he leads the second unit, you know, he's 30 plus percent usage. So those little things. So Belton's projection goes up by three or four points because his minutes go up. Like his, I think our, our original minutes projection from Melton was 24. Then we bumped him up to 28. He ended up playing 30. So, like, I, I was I was trying to get Melton to lineups. This is after lock. Right? I had Kyle Anderson in one of my... I only played six lineups yesterday. I originally had Kyle Anderson in, and in that lineup, I switched around to get DeAnthony Melton and move guys around. So these are the things paying attention to. Like, DeAnthony Melton put up 31.5 points for 3,600. Now, we had a lot of people that under 4K, you know, around 4K that put up a lot of points, right? We had uh, Chris Duarte. We had uh, Maxi put up over 30. Harold put up over 30. I mean, we have a, I mean, Scotty Barnes didn't have a bad day. I mean, 23.75 for almost minimum price typically would be pretty good, but not on this slate. Uh, you, need, you needed more. Uh, Jalen Green, 22. So, I mean, I mean, at least got 20. Let's see, Evan Mobley, 41.75. And he was what? On DraftKings, he was 4,500. Almost 10x. 
Desmond Bain was 3,200, so he 10X'd. Josh Giddy at least put up 20. I'm just going through here. I mean, Mobamba was cheaper on FanDuel, so it doesn't matter. Uh, DeAnthony Melton, 31.5. I mean, Harold, even Gaff, I mean, Gaffer got 25, and he was he was somewhat viable. All right, you could go through here. You know, like so many people got there. Right. Fed, the Raptors didn't. Right. Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi. I mean, they got they kind of got blown out by the Wizards. Dinwiddie didn't play as much as, as people thought. Right. 4,900. We thought, you know, 34 minute Dinwiddie. No, nope, that didn't work out that way. And also, you know, lost about you know five minutes at the end because they didn't need him. Right. They were up by God knows how much. That's how that's how fragile the projections are in the beginning of the season. Right. Because. Sometimes you're not sure what these rotations are necessarily going to be, and even if you are, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't produce. Right? The Raptors were just chucking bricks all day. Right? Jonas Valanciunas, I think, been three for twenty-one, and I don't even know how that's possible. It's not like he's an outside shooter. How do you go three for twenty-one when most of your shots are within six feet of the basket? I don't know how that happens. So he was popular, more popular in FanDuel. But that's why NBA, like what I described with the starting lineup changes and everything, you got to pay attention. There are edges there. I mean, some. I mean, it's not just uh, this guy's out. Oh, I just have to. I'll, I'll be on my. I'll be on the couch. I'll look at my phone, and if I if I get a news that a guy is out, that's in my lineups. Like no, well, what happens if the starting lineup changes? Right? Does the, what? What effect does that have? Guys, that's supposed to do this and did like you know. It, it, uh, a lot of people play Precious Achua, and he missed, he missed like six dunks yesterday or something. He, I don't know. And he got into foul trouble. But Boucher was in. And you don't, we don't know what they're spl- that split at, that, at the center position. They have multiple guys that could play center. So just because Precious starts doesn't necessarily mean he plays 28 to 30 minutes. Yeah, if he plays 28 to 30 minutes, he's a smash at 3,100. So yes, there is upside there. But that's what you're waiting against the field. Right? The field, if you take a look, Scotty Barnes, an 11 game slate to be, you know, in the fadeaway, almost 40% owned. Dinwiddie, 40 plus percent owned. Maxi, 37% owned. Jaron Jackson, who didn't really get there, 32 points, just pedestrian, 31% owned. Embiid, who suffered, obviously, he got injured. And then they just didn't bother using him in the fourth quarter because they were up by so much. So he didn't really get there for it, right? He, got, he had like 20, he had like 26 in the first quarter. The end of the game was 41 and a half, right? So a lot a lot of the chalky guys, you didn't, you, you didn't need. In fact, it, it hindered you. And even guys like Maxi, you didn't need as long as you, as long as you had someone in that price range that g- gave you that many points. If you had Mobley, if you had Duarte, if you had Melton, if you had Harrell, like probably you need multiple of these guys. But like in my lineups, like I play, I played six lineups, and one of these lineups I I obviously switched because I didn't have Carl Anderson anymore. So I played six lineups. All six had Duarte, and all six had Jeremy Grant. Now I didn't necessarily plan it out that way, but it ended up working out that way. I was using Duarte because his projection in comparison to guys like Barnes, like in that low range, I had him projected with the lowest ownership. 
So I'm projecting with 17% ownership. I was off on some guys. Duarte, uh, this, this is exposures. Hold on. Let me take a look at Duarte. Duarte. Yeah, 17, like in the fadeaway. Like these ownerships I, I make for the basically for that type of contest. So for the fadeaway, 17. And where am I going? Where am I going here? I got to switch around. 17. Right? But Maxi was going to be a lot, much more owned, 40% owned. Barnes was going to be around 40. Actually, he ended up being slightly higher. Like Lamelo, I only had for 10, but I mean, he ended up coming in higher. So I don't think I adjust. I built these before. No, 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 I, no, 10%. So I was off on him. I was off on Embiid. If I, if I projected to be better at twice this ownership, I wouldn't have had him in five out of six of my lineups. It would have been more likely to be Towns there. The Jeremy Grant, I, I found, based on running lineups, based on ceiling, was the lowest owned. He actually came in less owned than 13%. I think he came in seven. He was 7% in the contest that I was playing. So what did Jeremy Grant come in the fadeaway? 11 Okay, so a little bit, a little bit under. But for the positional scarcity of uh, uh, small forward, power forward, on DraftKings, the guards you could fill up the guard spots, no problem on DraftKings. It was that small forward, power forward type of spots. I thought the bet, the best ceiling plays for their ownership were uh, Grant and Michael Porter Jr. And that's and that's purely from running lineups. What did you see in those games? No, I didn't see anything. I'm literally running lineups and looking at combinations of, you know, projection versus ownership. That's all I'm doing. And I was just getting a lot of Grant and Porter. Derek White on DraftKings. I, I had I had Derek White on DraftKings. I am at 13% owned and he was like nothing owned, like almost nothing, four, four, five percent. So when you run lineups, I mean, it's very getting the ownership right. You need to get closer than this. Like, I did not get close on some of these guys. And that would have dramatically changed, like, what lineups I would have played. Probably still would have gotten to Grant. Probably still would have gotten to Michael Porter Jr. Uh, probably would have had maybe maybe only one out of six with Scotty Barnes. Maybe none with Fred Van Vliet. I had Fred Van Vliet at 30%. And he came in higher than that, Right. No, no, around 30 in the fadeaway, right? Okay, okay, so I was, I was about accurate on that. It's the Embiid one. I thought there was that, that more people, not more people, I thought, you know, Jokic is there and Towns is there. Obviously, Jaron Jackson is there that could fill a center spot. I thought it'd be more spread out. I also played a lot, uh, Mo Bamba in five out of six lineups on DraftKings, Mo Bamba and Nurkic for their ceilings because more people are going to be playing Embiid, Towns, Jokic, you know, that, that range. I still had, obviously had Embiid. It's hard not to get Embiid in five out of six lineups when I have him at 14%. That's the point. If I put him at 30 there, like these lineups wouldn't, would have much higher ownership and I would have played different lineups. So just to show you what I have, I have one Kuzma lineup. What was that lineup? Like? Right. And also, you know, if you notice here, I'm playing Washington and Toronto players together. So Fred Van Vliet is in one lineup, right? It's in the one lineup that has Kyle Kuzma and Spencer Dinwiddie. 
like Scotty Barnes. Dinwood, Barnes, Dinwood, Barnes, no Dinwood. Was Barnes wasn't the key player. Dinwood was more of the key player. And Van Vliet was a key player. So I put it in those correlations here. So if I go to player groups, so these are the player groups that I have. Remember, I'm only making six lineups, but I'm make I'm really making 300 lineups and then picking the six that I'm playing. So here, so here from yesterday, here are groups that I made. And if you're playing a ton of lineups, you could use these types of groups also. So in all my Lamelo Bar lineups, use one of two of Duarte, Turner, or and Sabonis. Right. I mean, I didn't end up playing Sabonis or Turner, but I mean, that's why Duarte ball. You understand why my ball lineups have Duarte, why I have six Duarte lineups, because I have like five Lamella ball lineups. Okay. My next group is make sure that Sabonis and Turner aren't together. Typically, they compete for rebounds. So I, I, I make sure that, you know, if, if this group works with two players, min one, max two, I'm going to get Duarte and one of Sabonis or Turner. That's essentially these two groups work together for that fact. And I have only play one of Harold Gafford or Kuzma. Now the Kuzma one is, it could just be Harold or Gafford because obviously they, they're direct backups of each other. But Kuzma, the rebound loss, maybe he takes away rebound. So, I mean, you didn't need to put Kuzma there, but I did. Because most likely I wasn't, most likely I wasn't playing much of any of these guys. Anyway, and then I have, if Fred Van Vliet is in the lineup, use one to two of Dinwiddie, Kuzma, Gaz, Gafford, Harold. So basically that first group was just made so that if I do play Fred Van Vliet, I'm going to get Dinwiddie plus one of the other three. And OG Adenobi, I, I got rid of, so that, that group doesn't, I did the same, basically did the same thing with OG. If I play OG, one to two wizards, right? And separate Van Vliet and, and OG and Anunoby together. Same thing. Barnes, Precious, Achua, and Anunoby. The secondary uh, players on the Raptors, separate them. Okay, then I have a group. Don't play Anderson, Bain, and Melton together, right? So only play one of these guys. Most likely they're playing very similar positions. Don't play Mobley and Jackson together. Both sides, you know, competing. Rebounds as well as foul trouble, especially when it comes to Triple J. Most likely, they're going to be covering each other. So rebounds and fouls are going to be negatively correlated. And I have this. If Evan Mobley is in the lineup, use one of the, the Grizzly, the cheap Grizzly guys that I have. Anderson, Melton, Bain. And I have don't play Wood and Towns together. Two sides of the game, right? Centers, you know, opposing centers. Then I have, don't play Townsend Edwards together because at their prices, I figure if one hits the ceiling, the other doesn't. This one, I, I left out Ingram for my player pool, but this is, don't play Valanciunas and Ingram together at their prices. Uh, don't play Harrison and Bede together at their prices. Don't play, uh, it, oh, this is, if, if Ingram's in the lineup, Use one to two of Maxi, Harris, or Embiid, but I took Ingram out of my play. Don't play Embiid and Valanciunas together, opposing centers. I make these groups as I add people to my player pool. So it's not like I just go through, 
You know, it's like, okay, let me look at every player on this list. It's like, no, I go game by game and adjust the people that I want to play. So basically the, the highest projected players, not who do I want? I just go by the numbers. Who projects well in this game? Okay, give me those three guys. Who projects well on the other side of this game? These two guys. Okay, how did these three guys and these two guys interact? Well, probably there's two centers, so I don't want to play them both together. And then, then you start making players. So I just wanted to show you all the groups. I wouldn't be doing this every day, but since it's the start of the NBA season, people always ask, you know, what types of groups do you make? Here's one that uh, if, Vol- if Jonas Valanciunas is in the lineup, he's one to two with Maxi or Harris. Because obviously Embiid's not going to be part of it because there's center, they're opposing centers. Don't play Bomba and Pirtle together. They're opposing centers, another group. Uh, don't play Murray and White together, right? Two guards of the same team at similar prices. Uh, I mean, you could play them together, but I chose not to. Uh, if Deontay Murray is in the lineup, use one to two of Bamba and Suggs. Okay. If Derek White's in the lineup, use one to two of Bamba and Suggs. Okay. So I get, you know, Spurs magic, kind of one, one together. Don't play Jokic and Porter together. Okay. Their prices. If Jokic puts up 75 points, Porter probably doesn't put up. 45 at his price. And then I have don't play Nurkic and McCollum together at their prices. And that's it. There you go. So I did all of, I did all these groups knowing that I was only making six lineups. Okay. And when you see the lineups here, these weren't just like, oh, I'm, I, I, if you see here, look at the number up here, 300. I didn't just build six and say, give me 100% Jeremy Grant. I did not put in, you see here, no exposures, no, no, no nothing here at all. Now, if I'm building 150, if I'm doing a, l- a large lineup, maybe there are certain players that I'm capping or certain players that I want more of specifically. So maybe, maybe I go, I want at least 20%, but no more than 60% and then start running the lineup. Or I run the lineups and I see that I'm getting way too much of someone. It's like, if I choose my 20 or 50 or six from this set, I'm just going to end up with like 100% of someone. If I'm fine with that, then that's fine. At that point, it's just a diversification, just a risk tolerance issue. It's all about risk management. That has nothing to do with whether or not the lineup's good. You could, I, could, I could find 50 lineups with Chris Duarte that are great. Do I want to play all 50, though? Well, you could. They're all great. But of course, Duarte has eight points. He bombs all of your lineups. If he puts up 40, he helped all of your lineups. So just that's the risk tolerance issue. That's a, all, all exposures and everything are just all a matter of risk management. It's not a strategy. Being over or under is not a strategy. You want to build plus EV lineups. I found that the range of lineups that I was looking in was somewhere between 120-ish percent owned and 160, like that range. Because going through all my 300 lineups and seeing what lineups project well for the lowest ownership. And this first one just, it knocked everyone's, you know, 408 from a ceiling standpoint at 156 was just so good to pass, too good to pass up. This was one of this is one of like the top 15 lineups in my entire 300 set. And the top 
14 were like 200% owned. It was like 200 and 180s. Then I got down to this lineup at like the 15th spot and it dropped all the way to 156 at 408. So I looked at this lineup and I said, well, this lineup with so much lower ownership than the lineup, 14 lineups above it. Like this is where I start from, right? This is what I want. So I, I, I basically looked at this and then I said, anything above 156, just, I don't want any. So now I'm just finding lineups that, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm giving up a little bit more, much more projection here, but I'm keeping my ownership intact, right? And then I come down, I have the lowest one down here. Ball, Duarte, Porter, Grand, Bamba, Dinwiddie, Harris, Nurkic. Remember, I'm building these lines. Remember, the only reason why it looks like, well, these lineups look pretty, they look pretty chalky, right? They don't look like, they don't look nuts. Yeah, because I'm playing the Showtime, I'm playing the Splash, I'm playing the, the mid-range jumper, I'm playing the, the 200, the 100, the 40, the 12, the $12 single entry, that's the largest one I'm playing. But I'm playing smaller field stuff, smaller field. It's not the small, small field, but small enough field, under a thousand entries. So I don't have to get nuts, right? I think I, I think I came in like 12th and one and 23rd and another. Because obviously if you didn't have like Randall, Jalen, if you didn't have some of those guys, they didn't jam people together. I mean, like I had too much like Dinwiddie and Embiid sitting there with 41 points in a lineup that's like, you know, 20 points behind first place. You go and like, like, dude, couldn't you, if you would have gotten to 60, I could have won this thing. So yeah, there's, there's small, there's smaller field content. But these are still, truthfully, these are still not bad for the large field stuff. Not bad. Depending on the size of the slate, obviously. So some of these guys, like Jeremy Grant was barely owned. Right? Jeremy Grant, Mo Bamba on DraftKings. He was higher on FanDuel. Michael Porter. I mean, these, these guys put up ceiling games, and there you go. You, you, I mean, let's say Michael Porter put up a Jalen Brown game. Or Jeremy Grant put up a 65 verbal. Like, then, then we'd be talking about me winning all the money. Even with all these other guys in, right? In basketball, you don't, you don't have to... I mean, I talked about it yesterday. You don't have to sacrifice, like, 30 points in projection just to play GPP lines. Especially on larger... Especially in 11-game slates. You could find good players at low ownership. Now we could question the fact is Jeremy Grant a good player? Is Michael Porter a good player? But these are good players. I'm not, you're not, you're not seeing the eighth guys on, on the bench type of players. You're not seeing that. And you could still play chalky players because they project, they project well. Out of all the sports, NBA is the least amount of variance. It's still high, it's still high variance. It's still high variance. It's not impossible to go like, why aren't they playing LaMelo Ball? Terry Rozier's out. He's 7,700. His ceiling, I mean, I had his ceiling was 55 at his 80th percentile range. He's, he hit it. So why not? And then if I'm going to play, if I'm going to play some $3,200 guy, if people are going to be playing Desmond Bain, like why aren't I playing Chris Duarte since he's on the other side of LaMelo Ball? He's on the other side of the game. So that's how, why not? And then everyone's avoiding this Pistons Chicago game. I don't like anyone on the, Chicago side only because it's a bunch of people that uh, cannibalize each other. But who the hell do the Pistons have? Like their team is horrible. It's Jeremy Grant, and that's about it, <laughs> right? So let me play Jeremy Grant. 
So I didn't think I didn't think of that. I just ran the lineups, and he just said, "I don't know. It's coming. It's coming up a lot." Why is he only going to be thirteen percent owned if he's coming up this much? Well, I hope he's only thirteen percent owned because he shouldn't be. He's coming up in more lineups. So th- th- to me, that this is this is the process of building lineups. It is a non-basketball-driven approach. Once I see the lineups, then I can think, oh, that makes sense. If I'm going to play this guy, I'm going to play that guy. And maybe you go through the lineups and you see, oh, well, you didn't realize that you didn't group out of someone. It's like you wanted that. Like, let's say you had McCollum and Nurkic in a lineup together. Now, you could still both, you could play both of them. There's nothing wrong with that. There's, their 90th percentile outcomes are going to be negatively correlated. But they're like, their 65th percentile outcomes are probably correlated. So depending on the size of the contest, maybe maybe you decide you don't you don't mind that. So you just leave the McCollum Nurkic lineup the way it is. But let's say you go through and you're looking through lineups and you just go, oh, I got a Nurkic McCollum lineup. I don't want them together. Well, then make a group and rerun your lineups. There you go. Going through the YouTube chat. Mm, Tyler Walker, do we still have to ask FanDuel for head-to-head rake refunds for tides? Yes. If you have Roto Tracker, there's there's if you go into your head-to-head section, there's something called a draw report. Okay, that'll show you all the draws, all the ties that you've had. Now, what I do is every month for FanDuel, there's even a template there. So if you go into Roto Tracker and you set your 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 date, you know, the, the filter for like a one-month period, because I do it every month. So I go, okay, for the month of, you know, on on November 1st, right? I'm uploading all my stuff through the 31st. Then on November 1st, I go to the head-to-head screen. I do a filter for just October 1st through 31st. And then the draw report will have all the ties. And then I go to the, then there's a little, there's a thing there that literally has has a template for you, an email template. They'll say, hi, my name is whatever. And here are all the, here's the contest names where all the ties, right? So you just go there and you cut and paste that. And then you open up a support ticket for FanDuel and you cut and paste that. You put, you select account management or whatever as a subject. And you put it in. Typically, typically with, 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 within 12 hours, it's, it's taken care of. That's how quick, that's how quickly it is. Do you have to do it every day? No, why, why bother doing it every day? You'd have to do it every day because you need you need the the eighty to twenty cents back on your one dollar head to heads. I mean, you have bigger problems. With it. I could wait till the end of the month to get you know whatever whatever the ties are. DK does it automatically, but what, from what I've been told is that they, it's 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 a manual process also, and they do it once a week on their schedule. Like like you could email them. You could do the same thing for DraftKings. So in the Roto Tracker, you could just there's a Dra- DraftKings section and a FanDuel section, right? So click on the DraftKings one, and there's the, the same type of template, and then email support. You could do that at the end of the month also. What's the worst case scenario? They tell you we've already refunded you for some of these, or all of them. So just to me, I do that once a month, do it once every two months, every three months, whatever. Doesn't matter. There's no there's no time period. But DK is supposed to do it automatically. Just that. They get to it and they do it like on a weekly period. So if you don't see a refund on the rake three days later from a contest head to head that you were tied in three days ago, you know, it'll be there. It'll eventually be there. 
they'll get to it. But if you, if, if you, feel, if you feel like, like they're not getting to it, do the same thing that I do. Wait till the end of the month and just email them and just say, yeah, there you go. And let them tell you, oh, we already got all this. And I'm, oh, okay. <sighs> Nate Branshaw, in some cases, wouldn't it be more beneficial that a guy doesn't start because they get increased usage on the second unit? Yes. But also typically, a lot of times if they're starting, they're also closing. So when you're starting, you're more likely, I mean, it all depends on the team. But when you're starting, you're more likely to get more minutes, but obviously less usage compared to the second unit because now you're in with better players. But the thing is with Melton, in the case with Melton, is that most likely he's coming out early and then still leading the second unit. It's not the type of thing where, where Melton's going to play alongside Ja the entire, you know, for, for eight to 10 minutes and then come out and have all his minutes overlap with John Moran. And then have Kyle Anderson lead the, the second unit as a semi-point guard, which he's really not, but he can. So that's why his that's why his minutes in our and see the thing is, I don't I don't have to bother thinking about it. Like I know the reason, right? I just explained it to you. Melton's probably gonna come out early and then still lead the second unit, which means his 24, his 22 to 24 minutes that we originally projected are still gonna be there, as with the same usage. But now he's going to get four to eight extra. He's going to four to six extra minutes, four to eight even, in, with the starters on top of that. Well, that's why the projection went. Like I'm explaining exactly what the projections team that we have here at Roto Grinders is doing. Right? Andy Means and Notorious and Jamino and Tuttle and SBK and Bob Reeves and Alan Lem and whoever's back there. That's what they're discussing. Oh, what does this mean? Well, that's probably what it means. I mean, like, like I, I know basketball, I know these rotations and everything. So I make it sound like, oh, all you need is the numbers because all you do need is the numbers. I don't need the explanation on why the projections exist the way it is, but I, I do know most of the time why, right? This guy's in, that guy's out. What's going to happen? Okay, most likely this guy's projections go up. Rogier is out. Well, most likely Ball's projection is going to go up and Hayward's projection is going to go up. And whoever, whoever the guard, the, 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 the six-man guard is going to go up. I don't know who that is. I don't even know who that is. But whatever the, whoever, whoever is the guy that normally plays 22 minutes off the bench and leads the second unit is probably going to get another six minutes. That was Ishman. Right? So, like, like that's, like, I get a sense of what's going to happen. By how much? I have no idea. I don't know. I'm not doing it. But I played NBA DFS long enough to kind of know, like, what, what guys are going to move and what's not, but do I need to do that? that that's the key question. Do I need to know why? I don't need to know why. And a lot of times looking through projections, I don't, I, I don't feel uncomfortable not knowing why. I think that's what, that's a bit, that's a big thing that, that average DFS players like can't handle. They need to know why they're doing something, right? It sounds weird to say, well, why wouldn't you want to know why you're doing something? It's like, well, as long I know I'm doing it because the numbers say to do it, but I don't know why the numbers are the way they are. But do you trust? That's why it all starts when I'm, when I'm going through the entire process of building lineups using lineup HQ or any, any way you build lineups. Do you trust the projections? Because if the answer is no, then, not, then I can't help you anymore. 
then you're, you're building based on feel you're you're trying to weigh 700 variables in your head i mean like like i don't that's i'm not an intuitive player like that i just as long as you, you could narrow down every player to a number then the game just becomes putting the numbers together so just get it to a number for me or do it yourself i mean you could originate your own projections but why do that when i could just use the rotogrinders projections that are that I'm probably not going to be better than anyway. So just do it that way. But some people are uncomfortable with that. I'm not going to just trust numbers. I'm like, why not? You're going to be doing it in your head. You know, realizing you're, you're weighing things and putting numbers on them, and then you're making choices. But most likely, a projection model is going to be less biased and more accurate. And then once you get them down to numbers, you make the alignments. There you go. Done. Uh, let's see. Uh, bu- 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 May Branshaw with a low RGV, which is a salary adjusted plus minus, and a high smash indicate a volatile player. Yes. Such as Bombi yesterday at a 30% smash with a low salary adjusted value. Yes. You could tell, you could tell by just looking at the ceiling on the floor. Michael Porter Jr. was one of them also. Jeremy Grant didn't have that high of a Salary adjusted plus minus, but he has a high ceiling. So yes, that's very, very well, well spotted, Nate. Someone, someone could have a negative. It's all, all that, all the RGB, salary adjusted plus minus, is doing is describing what the uh, distribution curve looks like. Like that RGB versus smash. Like if we take a look at today's slate, which I'm not playing. It's a three-game slate, and there's showdown, and I got a show, and right, I can't, I can't be on a seven-thirty show for NFL showdown, and then have to deal with someone from Milwaukee, Miami is out ten minutes before the the, the, the game locks. So all RGV and Smash is doing is describing the distribution curve, right? High RGV, high Smash, that means a lot more of his outcomes are towards are leaning i mean they're not dramatically leaning towards the top but like something like like jimmy butler 15 percent smash or out of io more leaning towards the middle but like jordan pool dwight powell you see here like oh dwight powell minus one his uh, salary adjusted plus minus is like minus 135 uh, yeah but look at look at his ceiling 30 his, te- his ceiling is 10x, right? His floor sucks, right? So his middle value is lower in the distribution curve than other players, but he still has a lot of the space in the high end, right? Damian Lee, right? We take a look. You just go down here. Luke Kennard, right? I mean, obviously it's a three-game slate, so you're going to have to play some, some crappy players. Dwayne Dedman, right? Like Dwayne Dedman's median sucks. But you can see his smash percentage is high enough that, like, he's playing. I mean, yes, you probably you may not even play him on the slate like this. But yes, so Nate points out something that's very, very, very well, well thought out. Drew Holiday is ruled out today, by the way. So these, these, these see, it's probable here. See, all of this is going to change now. Welcome to NBA. Danilo Gallinario is ruled out today. 
Oh, Lou Williams is a game time decision. Welcome to NBA, folks. This is NBA. People want to make line. People, people show up to this show and they want to make lineups. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Can't make lineups. You can barely make lineups a half an hour before live. Uh, Doug Montgomery, what site is better for NBA? FanDuel or DraftKings? That, what, that's, I mean, there's no such thing as better. They're both fun. Depends on what contest you like to play, I guess. So I don't know what, there's no such thing as better. Joe Stroop, why does RG not offer different uh, for our projected ownership based on contest size? Because it's tough to do. <laughs> it's tough. It's, it's tough to be accurate for one contest size, let alone for multiple contest size. But this is the ownership projections typically around the industry, not just Roto-Grinders is based on the larger field contests. You could scale them for the smaller field stuff. That's perfectly fine. Just know that the chalk will be chalkier. So, and, and that ownership has to be taken away from other players. So like, like Jeremy Grant, for instance, Jeremy Grant in the, the Showtime or whatever, the single entry was 7% owned, not 13% owned, right? I projected him for around 13 and he was around that in the $15 large field. But in the small field, he was lower because more people were playing Van Vliet and Dinwiddie and, uh, and who's, who's that small? Who's who? Uh, Scotty Barnes, those types of guys. True Dawn FM. I know the consensus for reasonable GPP ownership in NFL is less than 125%. Is that range different in NBA? The range is all it's much more dependent on the slate. Because the ownerships are going to be wildly different, wildly different. I mean, it's the same is true for NFL as well. You don't get, there are some slates at NBA where there will be three guys that are 60 plus percent owned. I mean, look at yesterday. I mean, just, just look at yesterday. The only reason why we didn't have certain players with absurd ownerships is because we had so many other people with absurd owners. I mean, like, like Jaron Jackson, 40%, Barnes, 40%, Dinwiddie, 40%, Van Fleet, 30%. If you set your, your, your cap at like, oh, I don't want to play a lineup for more than 100%, like you're, you're fading everywhere. And you're, most, and you're most likely, the chalk in NBA tends to be better because it's a more projectable sport. But imagine if we didn't have Jaron Jackson on the slate and we didn't have Van Vliet on the slate. Like Dinwiddie would have been 60% owned and Barnes would have been 60% owned. I mean, like everyone else, Maxi would have been 40% owned. We started to take, and there, there are a lot of slates where there's only like two or three players like this or one player. There may be one player that's 80% owned. And you know what? The 80% owned player is under-owned, right? You have instances in NBA where there's a player that's going to be 80% owned in your contests that should be 95% owned. So actually the fact that he's 80% owned is, is good. You have leverage. It's like, well, I'm, well how, do you, how do you play the 80% owned player? It's like, like dude, because he, he should be high. He actually should be higher than that. He's a $3,600 player with a 12X median. Like he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna get there like more than 85, 80% of the time, actually. So you're more likely to play you don't get that in NFL. You don't get that in other sports. So it all depends on what the ownerships of the players are. So that number, 125, 
Like you can't just, you can't use, there's no number. Yesterday, it happened to be based on what I was running. That sweet spot was around 120 to, to 160. And it's only because there were a lot of players that were under-owned because of other players being higher. Right? That's why I got only one Van Vliet lineup, only one Harris lineup, only two JJJ, Triple J lineups. But most likely, you were still playing some value plays. You were still probably playing Duarte, Barnes, Bain, Melton, uh, whoever. I mean, all those the under 4K, Maxi, still probably playing those guys. But which guys? We had multiple guys to choose from, which kept all the ownership down. So even with between 120 and 160, you still could play two or three of those guys. But there are certain slates where there's only two of those guys. So the only way to drop your ownership is by fading one of them or fading both of them. And fading both of them, your projection may not even be high enough. You may need to play one of them in order to keep your projection high. So the number, whatever that ownership number on the slate, like you're not going to, you're going to have to run lineups to know, to get a sense of where that range is on every single slate. And the same is true in NFL, by the way. You use the number 125. That doesn't mean anything new. Just that in NFL, we typically don't see 70% owned players. We don't see multiple 30 to 40% owned players. Like a lot of times, like even last week, you had, you had a Kareem Hunt that's like 36% owned or something. And then a couple of guys at 20. Like, okay, well, on average, if you, if you said... You're probably somewhere between 75 and 125 in NFL. You're, 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 you're probably you're probably right. If you did that every slate without thinking, you'd probably more be more on more slates. You'd be right. You'd be accurate than less accurate. But in NBA, it's all over the place. Uh, do, 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 do. Michael Dampier, for three-game slates, do you tend to game stack more in NBA compared to larger 10-game slates? So would you maybe allow Jokic and Porter Jr. in some lineups, for example? Yes. Because the opportunity cost is, is lower. Like those negative correlations, like I don't mind them. Unless it's like extreme negative correlation, I don't mind on smaller slates, two, three, four-game slates even. Because what's the opportunity cost? Oh, if you play Jokic and Porter together, that's not allowing me to get who? There's only so many people to choose from. There's only three games going. There's 11 games. Why am I playing? Why am I playing Porter with Jokic when I could just play Embiid in that lineup? When I could play Towns instead of Jokic? But there's at the small forward position in Porter Jr., I could play other guys. I could play Jeremy Grant. I could play Tobias Harris. I could play. There's so many other people there. The three games late, there aren't. Jake C, any tips on building NBA lineups for someone who can't afford the optimize? Well, if you can't afford projections, uh, this may be a, this may be a very this this is something that people wouldn't tell you. Okay, Jake C. So I'm not talking about the the optimizer itself is just is just a tool. Okay, so optimizer is like a calculator, but you're I'm assuming you're talking about projections. Okay, the optimizer is just using whatever project. If I put in horrible projections into this. It doesn't matter. Like, I'm just going to get horrible lines, right? No matter what I do. But most people are like, well, what do I do if I, if I have no projections? Uh, personally, I would say no, don't play NBA DFS. 
I mean, I'm just, I'm just being real. You're, you're more likely to get lucky in other sports, the higher variant sports. Like in MLB, if you're like, oh, I, don't have, I don't have projections in MLB. It's like, look at the team totals, right? Look at the Vegas lines or whatever. And just stack the teams with the highest totals. With five, five of those guys from one team and, and then take the second, take another team and take three guys. Like you're more likely to get lucky doing, I mean, even, even if, you're, if you don't have projections, like it's very easy to just kind of, okay, you could get lucky that way. I mean, you may not be profitable, but you have more of a shot. NFL, you have more of a shot with touchdowns and injuries and who knows. Right, NHL, you know, oh, who are the highest totals and what are the lines? As long as you're able to figure out and when they change, you know, line one, line two, power play one, you know, all that type of stuff. And get, just get some goals, get the right goalkeeper, which is a, just a crapshoot as it is. Like you're more likely to get lucky. But in NBA, it's it's tough. So personally, like play play for entertainment's sake. Sure, okay. You want to play low stakes? Play the lowest stakes you can. Like the lowest stakes you can and have fun. I got, I mean, like that's, that's what I would suggest, but I don't, without any, any type of projections in NBA, like, dude, I mean, there's only so much intuition you could put into this. I mean, you're going to, you're going to be playing again. You're going to be playing as people that are, 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 I mean, wildly better than you just for the sake of having, having reasonable projections. It's not that expensive. It's really not that expensive. Uh Kai Roach, massive late swap edge. Franz Wagner was just 1.5% owned. Osmo changed him to 68% smash post lock. Dude scored 26 points at 3K, which is fine. But also a lot of other people scored 26 points for 3K. There was just a lot of people to choose from. But if you want to play Franz Wagner, I was playing more. I was more in Jalen Suggs. I mean, I only played six lineups. He didn't fit in, right? I'm more, I, I already had, lot, like, at 7 o'clock, I already had Chris Duarte lock. Anyway, so it's like I'm done anyway. Uh, let's see. Uh, Sheiksy, do you create the groups first before crunching your lineups? Yes. I go through the entire player pool and decide who stays in. Right? And typically, it, I, I'm not picking players. Take a look at my player pool from yesterday. Oh, my God. It's all the people with the green and the RGB column. I mean, like, and Kyle, well, Kyle Anderson turned into this, right? Because obviously his, his, his uh, projection went down, right? I replaced him and I late swapped that lineup out. But look at this. If I go through, it's guys that have a good projection. I mean, that's all it is. I mean, so I'm not going through like for today's slate or something like that, whatever. It's like, oh, you see all these guys that are up here, like from here to here, I'm going to eliminate everyone below. I mean, like that, that's all I'm doing. But I'm going team by team. Right. So I eliminate and I go team by team. So I'm going, I'm doing something like this. Right. I'm going Indiana, Charlotte. Right. I eliminated everyone. Right. Underneath this. And I said, okay, I got Turner. I got Sabonis. I got Duarte. I got Ball. So now how would I make a group? Do I want Sabonis and Turner together? Probably not. So I make that group. Right. Do I want two guys from Pacers together? I don't mind. I don't mind Duarte plus one of these two. And if I'm going to play these guys together, if I'm going to play LaMelo Ball, I might as well play one of these, these guys. So I'm like, so then I make that group. And then I go to the next game. So I go to Chicago, Detroit. And the only one that projected well was Jeremy Grant. Do I have to make a group for that? No. Then I go to Boston, New York, and I have no one. I go to Washington, Toronto. I have a bunch of guys here. 
So now how do I want, okay, I don't want Gafford and Harrell together, right? But if you see here, the guys that I'm including are just all the high, all the best projected players. That's it. They're going to be the ones that end up in my lineups. I don't have to deal with the guys that are all the way in the bottom because even if I build 300 lineups, they're never going to show up in any of the 300 lineups anyway. So why do I have to even make a group with them? Any, they're just, they're not going to show up. I just eliminate them completely, right? So I don't even have to worry about them in groups. But yes, so I make all those groups before I crunch the 300 lineups. And even when I generate the 300 lineups, I still go through, I'll scroll through and see if there are any groups that I just happen to miss. This guy, this guy together, do I really want to do that? You know, and you see, you see stuff like that. But you can do this in your head. I mean, if you're only building, I mean, look, I'm building six lineups. You could have built, you could, man, you could hand build this if you want, right? Me personally, since I have a tool, I'd rather just run 300 and pick the six that I want, right? Go through and see what the numbers are, right? Beforehand, did I think I was going to play six out of six Grant and Duarte? No, I didn't. I did not have a clue at all. I probably would have not chosen that, but based on the numbers, I couldn't refute it. So I'm just like, okay, my night's being decided by this, by this, and that's it. And it worked out. I mean, it cashed, right? Four out of six of my lineups cashed. I was profitable in GPP. DK cash games did great. FanDuel cash, not so much. <sighs> also, do you lock in players or do the groups make it where you don't have? No, you don't have to lock in players at all. You use conditional player groups. We have, if you sign up for Roto Grinders, we have, we have tutorials on all of this. Stephen Cunningham, High Blender, for your starting bankroll, do you start with what you ended with last year or start over? I'm, start, I'm starting with what I ended with. We see here, I have my NBA cash bankroll tracker. So last year, you can see most of it was on Fandle. I started with 20,000, like fictional. This isn't my full, whole bank. I have way, way bigger bank than this. And I made over 20,000, just playing 10% and diversifying between multiple sites. So since I started with the 20,000 last year, I was like, okay, this year I'm going to start with 40,000. Right. So made money on DraftKings, lost money on FanDuel. And FanDuel, the thing they don't they don't tell you on FanDuel, just to let you know. Okay, just to let you know on FanDuel. The limiter, the head-to-head -head limiter on FanDuel does not apply to auto match. So be aware of that. You're playing head-to-heads on FanDuel. They've added a limiter, which is they've DK has had one for five years. And a limiter means that like. I'm going to play, you know, I'm going to put together 50 head-to-heads at different levels and a limit of one, which means opponent can only take one per stakes level. So if I have 10, if I have 10 $50 head-to-heads, 10 $25 head-to-heads, 10 $10 head-to-heads, 10 $5, 10, like someone could come by and take 150, 125, only one. What it, it won't allow you to take more than that. It used to be there was no limiter. Someone could just guy and literally take all of them. You have 10 $50 head-to-heads, I'm taking all 10, right? All at once. So it, what made it problematic is that you, you, in order to prevent scooping, even by dumb people that just like, why are you doing it? Why, why did you scoop 10 of my $5 head-to-heads when there's a $50 head-to-head, you could just take one. Like, so now I have to go in and, and now create more. So a lot of times on FanDuel, people were just posting one or two at a time 
because so they wouldn't have all their volume scooped. So they added this one, this limiter of one. So I'm like, great, it's just like DraftKings. It only, it'll only one per each, but on DraftKings, if it auto matches, it adheres to that also. So like, it doesn't matter that, you know, there's, if there's five guys in the lobby, right? Or something, and you have a limit of one and you have eight available, it'll go one, 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 one. And those three, it'll just won't fill, right? Cause the limiter limits to one per stake slot. FanDuel apparently doesn't work that way. FanDuel, if you have, if you have uh, 20 unfilled $5 head to heads at lock, even with the limit of one, it, all 20 could end up being with the same people with, you know, you have 12 get filled of the same person, right? With their head to heads that are available. So just to let you know that that's the case. I did not know that yesterday. So I had, I had a, I had a lot of, I, I, I think I had 12, I, I'd like, I'd like 600 or $700 worth of uh, head to heads against McLovin. Uh, not realizing. I mean, I don't, it's not like I don't mind, you know, one, right. Just to have a diversity. I've played so many head to heads. It's ridiculous. But like, did I, did I, did I want to play $700 worth of head to heads versus one person? No. That, and that primarily because because the limiter doesn't have to do with uh, the auto match. So just figured that out. Maybe people do that beforehand. Okay. So uh, I hope you learned, learned a bunch of stuff here. Uh, then, I mean, this is what we do every day. What we do, this is, this is, a, this is a teaching, this is teaching time, right? Especially for NBA where like, look, we, we, holidays, we don't even know what else going on, right? At 11 o'clock a.m., we would have been talking about, if we talked about this late, it would have been, it would have been different people, right? That's why I don't like doing it because people listen, also listen to the podcast version of this. They listen to three o'clock and they go, oh, this is the play. That's the play. No, it's not anymore. 800 things has happened the past three hours. So that's why I like reviewing past slates and talking about strategy, talking about how to use the tools, answering your questions, because that, that's what I do. So hit the thumbs up button on your way out the door. Give me those thummy thumbs. Hit the, hit the notification bell to know when we go live later. I'll be, I'll be on. I'll be on, I'll be on 7.30 tonight. I have uh, STL cards, I believe, uh, to break down the, the Broncos-Browns game where half the player pool is, it seems like they're not even playing. So, uh, so we'll, we'll be covering that then. And uh, we'll, we'll take a look at, at stuff tomorrow. Tomorrow's casual Friday, right? Casual Friday. We talk about a bunch, we talk about a bunch of stuff all the time and answer your strategy questions here for DFS on the DFS pregame show every weekday on rotogrinders.com.